Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast. Got a little bit of a mix-up on it today though. The Fish, Lift, Eat boys are going to take over and, and we're going to talk fishing for a little bit. Uh, my name's Casey, so I'll be your host for tonight. We're um, giving Carter and Bobby a break and joining me is Mr. John Hatton himself. How's it going, John? Good, man. How's it going? It's good to be back. Oh, it's great to be back. Glad they're going to give us a little more, a little more talking room now instead of just the the tips episode. Yeah, we get like four times as much time to talk to each other about fishing. This is we usually have to cut it short just for tips. I know, I know. We've we've been talking about getting this full length episode going for a while now, so it's good to finally be able to to get the ball rolling with it. Yeah. And for the audience, I think we're just going to keep it kind of a casual conversation between two people. We don't necessarily go into specifics on how to rig things or how to fish this type of water. But if it gets there, we'll get there. But we're kind of, you know, we we both have very different fishing styles and different backgrounds. So I think we're going to kind of go into how we got there, what we uh, what got us into the sport, how we kind of tackle this time of year, that kind of stuff. Some of the broader picture yes. stuff that works for you. So the the cool thing about the dynamic we got going on here is is we're both diehard passionate about fishing. Like we love everything there is to do about it, but we both do it in drastically different ways. And um, I think it's going to be a cool insight to our listeners on, you know, you can you can find where you fit into into fishing and your passion for it and. Um, you know, how, how we got started in it and how, you know, just different ways that you can get outside and go do it and enjoy, you know, the sport that's obviously had a huge impact on us. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I mean, at least for me, Casey, I've, I've moved, see, I've lived in Georgia, South Carolina, New York and Colorado. So I found ways to fly fish at all the States and there's ways of doing it. So I'm sure you got your story too on how to get gear packed up, move around, scout, scout some new water that you may be not familiar with and, you know, not necessarily get rid of your habits and your fishing style, but mold them into the kind of environment that you're finding yourself. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you already hit on there kind of your, um, you know, how, how you moved around and adapted to fly fish and all that. So why don't you just go ahead and, um, and just give us the, the hundred yard view from up top on, on how John Hatton got into fly fishing and what, um, what has influenced you to get to where you are with it? So I think with everyone that's getting into fishing, it's usually their dad or their uncle that got him into it in the first place. Right. So I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and we have, um, you know, very, one, a very diverse fishery here with two great lakes, ton of river systems and a ton of small ponds. Um, that, you know, are pretty natural there. Most of them were formed during that glacial period, the glacial melt off in the last our, um, ice age. So they're really deep in cold water for the most part, especially all summer. So got in a fishing normal way. My uncle took me out with all the ponds around here. Used to just bass fish during the summertime, grew up on a pond. So the back pond had, you know, bass, sunfish, common carp, those kind of things. So it was just kind of the fun neighborhood thing to do. When I got into, I think, your eighth or ninth grade, I had a buddy at the time whose dad took him on a guided steelhead trip. And I don't know if anyone knows what steelhead are. They are a lake run version, well, ocean run version of a rainbow trout. What some really intelligent wildlife people did back in the 1800s was take the wild steelhead from Washington and British Columbia and put them in the Great Lakes because we had a huge bait fish population in the Great Lakes. 
they introduced uh, a couple of species of the Pacific salmon and the steelhead into the Great Lakes to help tame that population and create a sport fishery here. So obviously I didn't grow up knowing this. This is something I kind of researched and learned as I was hitting that high school age and had a family friend and got his son into fly fishing and he took, you know, we went in the backyard in the pond with a fly rod and I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. This is cool. And then we went steelhead fishing one day and I was like, all right, this beats the hell out of bass fishing. Like this is going to, I don't know how I'm going to do it because I was in like ninth grade, didn't have a car, didn't have money. I was like, this is going to be a big part of my life. And from there, I mean, it's just, I went through high school, kind of self-taught, self-learned, you know, save up, buy some gear here and there, start with some cheap $100 combo kits, go to college out in Rochester and have the salmon kind of influence there. And then I got really lucky when I went active duty with the Army, and my first four years were up in Watertown, New York, so I was close to home. And that's where I got really, really into the whole different space dials and to using switch rods and guiding and, and that kind of stuff, just because the environment up there is a little bit different. Um, but what about you, Casey? Yes. Yeah, so mine is, is drastically different. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a, a lot of cool stories that I get to hear about people, how they got into fishing or hunting or, or really any, you know, what, whatever your niche is that you get into, you know, there's like that defining moment of, you know, I can remember the first time that I got to go fishing or whatever. And I really, for me, I don't like, I can't, I couldn't tell you like the first time that I got to go. It's just always been just a huge thing in my family. Like everybody's fished. Like, I mean, if it, any farm pond, anything like that, I mean, I can just remember as far back as I can remember, I've got fishing stories that are, that are stored in the bank. But, um, you know, just for, for reference though, um, you know, I was born in North Georgia, um, born and raised, you know, still, still back here. We, um, you know, we made a little hiatus to um, South Mississippi for a couple years, but outside of that, I've spent all of my time in the North Georgia mountains um, with a deep and burning passion for all things bass fishing. Um, you know, probably started at some farm ponds, you know, hooking the first one on a, I don't know, Spider-Man rod or whatever it was at the time. Yep. But um, my uncle always had a, um, he always had a bass boat and yeah. me, him and my dad, you know, it, it was I mean, I can just remember us having to walk down our driveway because of we he couldn't get the boat in to turn it around at our house. So <laughs> we'd have to walk down the driveway carrying my little Plano tackle box and probably my Zebco 33. And we'd just go spend the day on the lake. Now they, you know, passionate fishermen, but as for like, you know, in-depth technique specific stuff when it comes to really being good at bass fishing, they weren't that. They were your typical, you know, just, just old guys. Yeah, You know, that we, we'd show up, you know, take off at daylight. We'd go, you know, beat every bank around the area. You know, they'd throw crankbaits and purple and uh, June bug trick worms. Yeah. That was pretty much it. And if it went for like an hour, we didn't catch anything. We just abandoned ship and broke <laughs> out the bro broke out the crickets and the ultralights. Yep. And we would just fill the live well full of, um, you know, <laughs> eat whatever would buy it. Mostly brim, crappy, whatever. And uh, it was it was awesome. Um, and then kind of, as I got older, you know, sports was a, was a big thing in my life, you know, played, um, played football, basketball, baseball, all that, um, all the way through high school, I actually played, um, basketball in college for a little bit, nice. but, um, kind of had that competitive, 
nature to me. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter if we're playing, you know, checkers at Cracker Barrel or whatever. I want to win. Yeah. Um, so then as competitive bass fishing kind of started making a, a bigger, bigger presence to people instead of just, I mean, there was always the bass masters and, and stuff like that that you got to watch on TV. But as for somebody at like a local level, you know, growing up, there just wasn't a huge supply of it. Yeah. Um, so then as I got older, especially up in, into high school and college and all that, there started being more and more of a, um, opportunity to get into competitive bass fishing. So naturally I was like, you know, fishing is my favorite thing to do and you know i'm skipping school half the time to go fishing um so i can combine my you know competitiveness with my passion for fishing and um that's kind of where i got started in in fishing tournaments and it's kind of been you know never looked back since you know signed up to prop fish my biggest trail of it this year um you know it's just uh it's just a great opportunity to get out and just the wealth of knowledge that you get to surround yourself with, with all these guys that have, you know, got 30, 40 years of, of knowledge and you're getting to spend a whole day on the lake with them, you know, when you're paired up with them in the boat and it just, you know, just when you think you know a lot about it or you know what you're doing, you're good enough to go run with the big dogs. You get humbled by some 70 year old dude real quick when he is just up there on the front of the boat, kicking your yeah. tail. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. So, because I did, I did a little guiding up in New York, and I think that that changed the way I view fishing and, and the way I attack the river, and it changed a lot when when you have to, you know, when someone else is paying you money to go, you know, to take them fishing, and they expect a certain type of day or a certain type of fish, and so you know, it's a competitive river up in there, up in New York, yeah. so. You, you got to find the right space that holds, okay, do I have kids? Do I have old people, older guys who maybe are, you know, le- less mobile, but it kind of changed that framework. Now did going from just, you know, bass fishing through high school, putting that competitive edge onto it saying, okay, I'm doing this for, this is for some cheddar right now. Like we're, we're doing this for money to put food on the table. Did that change your framework on how you looked at fishing and even today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah. it, but it, in the way I look at it, it changed it for the better. It, it's made me a better angler because of it. Because, um, I mean, I could go out prior to fishing that and beat the banks or, you know, not, not really have any kind of game plan or knowledge. And I, you know, you could stumble on enough and, you know, still have fun. But, you know, to be competitive, you know, nobody wants to show up and, you know, be the last place dude on the board whenever the weigh in's done. Yeah. It, it, it pushes you to get out of your comfort zones because, For like, sure. I love throwing jigs. I love throwing jerk baits. Like, there, there's certain techniques that are just my, is my comfort zone that I know that, um, you know, I may have to bounce around to a few spots, but I know I can generate a bite on it. Um, but fishing in the, you know, in a competitive nature for some, you know, relatively big money, um, and you know, a lot of money invested into it, it, it has made me dive into stuff, um, that I wouldn't probably never would have got into, you know, I, you know, especially like finesse techniques and, um, you know, different variations of lures and stuff, just, you know, trying to find those subtle um, those subtle things that are going to make a difference whenever you're fishing against a hundred other people on the same body of water in the same conditions and all that. It yeah. just, it, it, it made me really expand, um, yep. my knowledge. Like it, it's made me even to this day, like I'm all the time, like reading articles, you know, watching YouTube channels, you know, in, anything that I can do to make me look at something a little bit different. 
um, I'm, I'm having to do just to just to be able to stay on the same page. Cause if I'm doing it, everybody else is doing it too. So right. anybody that's, anybody that's not doing it, you know, anybody that's not trying to, um, you know, master every technique there is out there, or every pattern or really studying what, what the fish are doing today and what are the weather conditions, which way is the wind blowing? How fast is it blowing? Like what was the temperature at eight, nine, 10 of the water? And you know, just every little piece of data that you can put together to be able to put a, a full day of, you know, fishing together to have, you know, the biggest bag on the lake. Yeah. Yeah. Guiding gear, the same thing. It, it, it forced me to be a better one, better fisherman, but two, I mean, you really have to start, like you said, expanding your comfort zone. Like if you only hit the river when it's flown at the perfect CFS and the sun is at the perfect level and there's been no rain for the last three days and the water is perfectly clear, like you're going to have a bad day. And if, you know, vice versa, if, you, if you're not out there in those muddy, shitty, rainy days and seeing where the fish pile up in the river, because they they're not moving out of the river. They're going to the certain, you know, holding spots when the water's high and muddy. And can you fish it then? Can you fish it when it's low and clear and those fish can see you coming from a mile away? So I, th- I think, for, at least for me, and it sounds like you had the same experience where it, it just forces that comfort zone, uh, forces you out of that comfort zone. It really helps you, you know, it, it's, it's fun to be that competitive. I mean, like, all right, there's more and than just too, I mean, whether you're, you know, like you're talking about going out and having to, to stay on top of these fish for, you know, you know, for guide trips or whether I'm prepping for a tournament or whatever, you know, at the bare roots of all this, you know, both of us just want to be fishing. Yeah. So therefore, if, if we're having to be, you know, prepping for this tournament or prepping for this guide trip or whatever it be, we're spending a lot of time on the water, which yeah. is ultimately what we're after. Mm-hmm. We just now found ways to be able to, you know, support ourselves in some nature by being on the water. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, I'm sure you guys have the off season prep. We do the same thing where it's when it's summertime and the water's low. Cause so for a little bit more background for the, for the listeners, our, our river systems in New York are pretty temperamental. A lot of them are a lot, a lot have old, dams on them uh but the ones are still freestone uh usually have some type of waterfall or water feature that the steelhead really can't push past and you know you gotta go out in the summertime and find those so you have to just go out in the summertime you have to find where they can't get past you have to see what the river and and these rivers are clear up and sometimes drop to a trickle during the summertime when it especially in august when it gets really dry here you gotta go out there and see all right where are the rocks where's the holding what where the gravel move to because especially south of buffalo from South of Buffalo through probably Cincinnati. Oh no, what's that? What's that Ohio city up on the, on the river? Not, not, um, it's probably Cincinnati, Columbus maybe, but that whole area, that whole string from South of Buffalo through Pennsylvania and Ohio, you have this, this old slate rivers and this just real fine ground slate, pebbles and they're very light so anytime you get a flood it just it shifts everything around in this river and it's everything under that's this flat bedrock the fish hate it, it chews them up they don't like sitting on it they don't like moving through it so every year that i fish these rivers it's a different river almost entirely with one or two flood outs so you have to go out there in the summertime figure out where these fish are moving where they're going to be potentially holding up where they're going to be holding up for the winter time 
And then you got to do it because once November comes around, like right now, it gets so dark and gray and the water darkens up so much. You can't see shit out there. So you got you to know like where those rocks are that the fish are going to hold behind. They're going to snag up your lines that you want your clients to avoid, but fish around. And you got to coach them how to fish around. It was pretty fun, but it's pretty, it's definitely a time intensive process just to, just to know your home water. And that's not yeah, but those, a, those subtle things like that is what's going to separate you from, you know, all the other guides on that river, you know, that exactly. aren't putting in the time or the effort, you know, you know, you're going to get a higher rating or you're going to probably going to get more return customers and better word of mouth because it's like, yep. man, John put, John put me on some fish. Like, yeah. you know, we weren't, we weren't having to, you know, break off and retile day because it just seemed like everywhere he told me to, you know, throw that fly in there's whack. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. You get that. And you get those, like a good steelhead day in the wintertime is like two or three fish, but you get a good, you know, eight or nine fish in a, in a day, which is very possible if you fish small flies and light line and you fish it slow and you get it down deep. But if you get it down deep and wrap around rocks and you're breaking them off every time, you're going to spend more time just tying on new gear. But if you know how to swing it and move it um, and you set up your rig properly so that you have a, a weighted fly that helps kind of move around a softer fly that might be scurrying in, in the tail, that's where it gets fun. And I had, I had fortunately a ton of good buddies that just knew water better than I did. And same thing. It's just little tricks, little tips. And you're like, Hey, I, I used to always throw my light fly up top and tie a heavy fly on the dropper. And then I went fishing with my buddy. He's like, no, flip it. And dude, the minute I flipped it, it's just like, it's same, same hole, same water, same fish, same everything. It's just hookup rates goes through the roof, which is having that trail fly being a little lighter and flowing behind that heavier fly sinking down and it i don't know what it necessarily is doing underwater but it works yeah and i could argue you know probably the best piece of advice that i could ever give anybody is just go fishing with as many people as you can yeah you know whether it be a buddy or you know just i mean any any everybody's gonna have their own own ways of doing things not that everything they do is going to be the best way to do it. There's things I do that I'm sure are probably horribly inefficient and it's terrible, but you know, there's things that I do that are probably better than some other guy, and, you know, and you know, a true fisherman, you know, you're going to pick up on those things. Like you're going to see it. If you're truly wanting to better yourself, you're going to be like, man, why is, me and this guy are fishing the same water? What is he doing? Yeah. Why is he wearing me out right now? And, uh, you know, so, I mean, just you know, that's how you're going to get better. You know, you, yeah. you, the more the more people you can get around. I mean, you got to be able to weed through the bullshit, too. Like, yeah. you know, don't you know, learn more about what somebody's doing, not what somebody's telling you to do, yeah. which, yeah. Is, you know, I get, which that. I, that's probably a bad thing to say is we're sitting here doing a podcast and they're listening to us. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Everyone on this podcast that's listening is free to come up to Buffalo and fish with me. I fish a lot uh, by myself. My wife doesn't like to go out with me in the wintertime. So if you're in Buffalo or in Western New York, drop me a DM and we'll go fishing. Yeah, you know, same here. If you're in North Georgia, my wife doesn't like going unless it's the dead of summer and she can like yeah. lay out on the back deck of the boat. And that's arguably one of the worst times to fish around here. But yeah, no, it's you're any you've but, all anybody always has a welcome, welcome invite to go with me and teach me whatever it is you know. I do things that are just habits because they're easy and I don't have to think about them, but they're not, you know, sometimes they're stale. Sometimes it's, it's a couple year old information that I'm working off of or 
a poor assumption. And uh, actually, this fucked me in Colorado. So when I moved out to Colorado, so I don't know if you've fucking been out there, but the fly fishing out there is um, a lot more remote than it is in New York. So in New York, I'm used to my truck being, even if I was doing a loop, I would probably only have like a three to five mile hike around if I was going from, you know, walking down the road, cutting down to the river, fishing the river back to the truck or dropping two cars at two spots on the river. I was probably only really hiking like three to four miles, but it was always during the winter. It was relatively cold and you could throw like two beers in the bag and a breakfast sandwich and you're good to go. Well, in Colorado, (laughs) it took three miles just to get to the fucking water. And then we were down in the canyon all day. There's no cell phone service. And it's like 100 degrees down in this fucking canyon. And I'm like, I brought a beer in my bag. <laughs> that was it. The, for the whole fucking day. We were down there for 12, 13 hours fishing. I brought one beer. And I'm pretty sure my dog almost had a heart attack walking back up the canyon to get out. And I was like, okay, this is a little. <laughs> I got to. Oh, that's hilarious. Backpack on this one. But I got like, I, I just got so used to like mindlessly throwing all my gear in the truck, taking my little hip pack, throwing a couple beers in it and a couple protein bars. And that was, you know, that still is, that's enough for, for a day out here. Because like, if you got hungry or tired or bored, your truck was like a half mile away and you, you're good. You can just go run to Tim Hortons, grab some more coffee, and then you're, you can hit another river 10 minutes down the road. Man, not Colorado. That <laughs> shit kicked my ass a couple times. You know, I've been out there once, but it was on a on a snowboarding trip. I've never I've never fished anywhere out west. Yeah, um, it's fun. It was it, it was it was good in the um, that that same. It actually was um, so for anyone that is into fly fishing. There's a there's a couple normal rigging techniques. Um, you know, you can you can swing a streamer, which is essentially just you, your fly line just goes to a long piece of. You could have a, a weighted leader. It could just be five feet of monofilament. But usually throwing like a big, you know, swing and fly like that, that just gets a fish's attention and, and you get that aggressive one. Then you can also nymph, which is setting up like a, call it bobber fishing and, and fly fishing. You put a little float on, you put a little split shot, and then some type of small egg or nymph pattern. You're just trying to bounce along the bottom. And then there's Euro nymphing, which is what I learned in Colorado. And that was a fun technique to bring back here because I have only ever nymphed the the New York water. So I was very used to just doing the same thing every time. But when I would go in Colorado in Euro nymph, the hookups, you get way more hookups and the fish fight really aggressively and you're fighting them on a, a small two weight, 10 foot rod, which is really fun. So I'd do it out here with a longer rod, fish in a steelhead Euro nymph style. And dude, just you blow them out of the water. It's, it's a ton, a ton of hookups. It's really fun. You're fight, you're fighting them on a light rod, so you know you get a six, seven, eight pound steelhead that's doesn't want to be on that line. It's pretty fun. Um, so it was good. The, the Colorado kind of pushed me. I, I didn't do as much fishing out there as I'd like to in the year that I was out there, but the golf game was pretty fun. That, that high altitude golf is it's a different game. <laughs> oh, I bet. that's cool man i mean that's cool that you've got to kind of bounce around like you have and you know pick up things at each area because i'm sure you've been able to find things that that do translate you know from colorado back to new york or whatever that have made you made you an all-around better one you know where you might be able to adapt to a situation a little bit quicker because of it yeah exactly you just kind of 
when you make the trek out in Colorado, you're kind of stuck with the conditions that you get. Whereas here, I can look at my, I can look at the river map and and the chart, and I can make a game plan just based on the three rivers that I fish that are all in a 20 minute radius. And you know they scale down in size. So if we get a large cell of water that pushes through, it might blow out two of the rivers, but the third one is perfect. And then vice versa, if we don't have any rain at all, you want to fish a bigger river that you know it's cleared up. The fish are in there. So, but in Colorado, it's kind of like if you're doing a two or three hour trek into the mountains, it's kind of, you get what you get and you better figure out the fish or you're just wasting gas and turning around and driving three hours home with nothing. In a really bad mood. Yeah. In a really bad mood. So that was fun. It was, it was good. I had a good buddy out there too, who we fish a lot together. So it was fun just to meet up and it, the remoteness of it's pretty cool. How wild those mountains are. That's the yeah. other side of like the New York fishing and even in Georgia and South Carolina, when I was down there, it's like, you're not really detached from society. A lot of just, you know, a lot of the pond hop and a lot of the pond fishing that I did in the South was like, okay, I'm in someone's backyard. <laughs> like when you go on Colorado, yeah. it's like, that's a, uh, <laughs> you're in a mountain. <laughs> you're thinking mountain. like, I wonder the last time there was a human being here. Right. Yeah. You know, pretty cool. There's some of these cool lakes that we get to fish in, in the in the North Georgia area that you know aren't aren't necessarily the ones that get advertised. I mean, I feel like everybody kinda has somewhat heard of Lake Lanier and Lake Hartwell yeah. and you know, lakes like that because, you know, all these pro tours, they come there and I mean everybody's heard the horror stories of Lake Lanier and what goes on there. But um, you know, we there are a few lakes around that, you know, you pull up in a cove or, you know, fish in a main lake point or whatever, and like you actually don't see you know, the big $10 million mansion on it, like you do on Lanier now. Um, and yeah, it, it's awesome getting to get back on those and just kind of, you know, get away from, you know, all the noise and the, you know, you just kind of back there to yourself and, you know, you're feeling like, man, this must be what it was like, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago before they just came in and, you know, lined houses up side by side all around the, on the banks of the lake. Right. So covering up those property lots and selling them. So how did how how far is your radius that you usually travel for for both tournament and then recreational for like going out just for a day with the kids? So for tournaments, um, it starts out per, the first. So we got five qualifier tournaments that we fish in this trail. They're relatively close. Like the furthest I'll go is really probably about two hours. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll fish those, and then if I qualify um, in the top forty-five of that. Then I like. I think this year, if I remember seeing it, I think it's at Lake Eufaula in Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. So that's relatively close. And then beyond that, um, you start getting into like the All American and stuff like that. And I, the, for people wondering what the heck I'm talking about, um, I fished the the Major League Fishing BFL series. Um, this year, I'm fishing the Savannah River Trail, and so I'll be fishing like Lake Hartwell, Lake Kiwi, you know, in South Carolina and Georgia, and um, then the regionals in um in Lake Eufaula and you follow Alabama. And then kind of when you start talking about the All American, you know, that's like the top five of each region then. And that could you know, they can put that anywhere in the country they want to. And it just so happened this year, um, is gonna be on Lake Hartwell, which is, you know, thirty minutes from the house. Right. Um so, so but I mean Go ahead, keep going. Oh no, I was just gonna say it, it kinda depends on the year. 
um, when, when, for those divisions anyway. We have a slew of you know local trails and local tournaments that um, that you you can fish almost every weekend if you oh, want to, yeah. and only yeah. go between being Hartwell, Lanier, whatever you want. Like there's clubs that they always have something going on. There's always a you know a charity or fundraiser tournament you can go get on. But as for oh, you know good. the ones that yeah. that we try to qualify for and you know make something of ourselves with um yeah th- those kick off in january and then um at the at the qualifying level you'll, you'll stay pretty close to the house and then kind of it just depends on your performance then on how far you get to go and how many extra tournaments you want to go fish right okay so how did let, let's rewind the tape a little bit how did you when did you like hit your first tournament what age kind of what was your setup back then i was fishing a wednesday nighter <laughs> <laughs> it was a, um, and I mean, that's, you know, anybody in bass fishing, you know, that that's a pretty common term, you know, is it the Wednesday night or the Tuesday night or whatever your local lake is. Everybody knows that that boat ramp that you can pull up to. If you have anything that floats, it can be a John boat. It can be a hundred thousand dollar bass boat. It doesn't matter if you show up there, you and a buddy, um, you throw your, you throw your 20, 30, 40 bucks, whatever the entry fee is for that in the hat. And, you go out and fish for, you know, to whatever time it comes back. And, you know, those go on every single week. Like I can remember oh, back sure. in, um, you know, um, Lake further up north where I moved from, um, it was every Wednesday night at, at this one particular boat ramp. Everybody just showed up, pulled up, and, you know, you just took off. Every Wednesday night, it didn't, 52 tournaments a year. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I don't know, it was just and um it, it was just fun you know because we, we were a bunch of little broke kids that didn't have nothing i mean we we were so you know outgunned and just it was it was horrible but then we got to fishing there enough to where you know these you know better guys they started recognizing us and seeing us there every week and how we're doing and like man you know these guys are you know they're actually kind of holding their own with yeah you know basically nothing and right. uh, so th- then what started happening was be like their partner would be out of town for a tournament or they were going here and didn't have anybody to go. So they'd start asking us to, um, you know, to come fish with them. And, um, you know, so then you get with those and we want a couple here and there or whatever. And, but just, I don't know, I just fell in love with it immediately that there's nothing like the adrenaline rush of like at takeoff, you know, right. You know, the sun's coming up, the lake's glass slick and, you know, you get to the end of that no wake zone after they've called your name out over the microphone and you just, you blast across the lake at 70 miles an hour. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know how many we've done now, but it, it is just like whenever, let's see, January 28th, my next tournament on the schedule. Oh, yeah. yeah. The takeoff of that tournament will be just as thrilling to me as the very first one I did in a like 14 foot aluminum John boat. Yeah. It, so, it just, well, it, it, it doesn't get old more did did it just grow out of doing those wednesday nighters and kind of evolve over time or were you approached by anyone or or, you know pick up any sponsorships over the years or what no i'm still no never had a sponsor but if anybody's listening they would like to um you know just dm me but (laughs) dm me i'll (laughs) gladly i will gladly put your logo wherever you want on my jersey or whatever but now you know right and i'm at the point now of you know it's still, I'm still self-funded. I've still, but it's yep. just that, that, that drive to, you know, okay, we've accomplished this level. Let's go to the next step. And then, yeah. you know, and take it. If, if this is as far as I ever get to go with it, hell yeah, we're having fun. Yeah. Like I love it. But, uh, you know, if we go out there and, you know, we 
eventually get to where I can kick tail at this level, we'll go on to the next one. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, it, it's until I win it, I'm going to be okay with, you know, with where I'm at, but I'm, I'm never going to be, um, I'm never going to be like, okay, you know, we're, I'm, I'm not going to get complacent with it. Like I'm yeah. just, I'm just not wired that way. If, if there's, yep. if there's a higher step, I've got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's like, now it's like scratching, there's another layer to the onion. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the progression from like, you know, a Wednesday night or to say the BFL level, or, you know, whether it be, you know, the Bassmaster opens, whatever level of it is that you're wanting to fish. You know, you, you can progress through up to that point pretty quick. If you're just, right. you know, if you're strong willed and willing to go out and, and grind and learn, you know, you, you can get to that point fairly easy. Well, I mean, you don't even have to do, I mean, you, anybody, anybody that's never fished before, I mean, technically you can go sign up for these BFLs tomorrow. Yeah. You can, I mean, you're, you know, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a culture shock to you, but you know, there's not, there's nothing stopping you from entering in the tournament that yeah. I'm fishing in January 28th. Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of like, you know, kind of doing the prep work to where whenever I approach that tournament, like I'm going to win it. Like, you yeah. know, any, anything below first place, like I'm, I'm not satisfied with, um, just cause I'm trying to qualify my way up to, um, you know, there, there's bigger tournaments that you can qualify into and, you know, avoid having to do like entry fees and stuff like that. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's my goals, but, um, but yeah, it's just, you know, taking that next step every time that I feel like we've accomplished something and then, you know, just ready to go, go on to something else. Right. So, um, on that, I had a good question to follow up with that. And I got, I got to think about it for a second. What was, um, what would you consider like a baseline level of fishing knowledge and experience that you work on every day that you go out kind of like the, the, the warm up reps versus, okay, I'm attacking this new lake for a tournament. How do you attack like a specific lake when it's, when it's time to, to go into tournament mode? Well, you know, a lot of people will think when you're going out, you know, in pre-fishing a tournament or, you know, depending on if you're out, if you're going way out in advance and actually doing pre-fishing or if you're actually doing your allotted practice days, um, you know, they think you got to go find the fish. Like you've got to find where they're at, what they're biting, where they're, well, a lot of times, you know, on these like single day BFLs, like you're only fishing it one day. Like you're not going to fish that whole lake in a day. Right. You know, e even, even at the super tournament, it's a two day yeah. tournament. You're not going to fish that entire lake in two days. So what we look at just as much of, you know, where they're at, where we're going to go, what they're biting is like, okay, how, how much of this lake can we just eliminate? Like where, where yeah. can we see yeah. that? Like, okay, just, you know, don't even look here. Like there's, you know, what, what we're trying to do, the patterns we're, that we're trying to grow on, like they're not happening here. Don't even think about going here during the day. Right. Um, and then it's just trying to, it's, it's just putting a game plan together. And it's, it's all about the, your success rate in, in tournament bass fishing is going to be solely dependent on your decision-making. Yeah. You know, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. You know, if you go, if you pull up to a place and you catch an absolute bag, it's going to be because, yep, glad I made that call. You know, and then you may take up and you may run 30 minutes across the lake and set up and get absolutely skunked. Yeah. And it's like, oh, man, I should have, you know, I, I should have went to this brush pile back over here on the north side or, or whatever. But, yeah. I mean, it, you're going to live and die by your decisions. And um, that's the cool thing about it is because you can't really blame anybody but yourself. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you, you 
you can go anywhere. If your boat will float in it, for the most part, you can go there. Right. Um, so it, it, it makes you good at, at, at making decisions, but it also makes you efficient at trying to, you know, make a very large body of water small. Um, right. You're going to have your comfort zones and depending on the time of year, you're going to know what you like to be doing at that time of year. You're going to know where the, where the bass are in their transition and whether they're, you know, they're feeding up for the spawn or whether we're post spawn, they're coming back out and schooling up deep, whatever. Um, so, you know, you, you're going to have certain things that you can go and, um, you know, cover water, you know, just, to, you know, just to see what they're doing. But then you also don't want to hook too many. Yeah. You know, cause every, basically every fish you hook, you know, you know, if it's your last day of practice and you're, you're blasting off tomorrow morning for the tournament, like, man, every fish I hooked yesterday, they ain't biting today. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we, we've got ways around that. We've, we've yeah. got ways to, you know, make them bite something and, you know, cut the hooks off or, or whatever. But th- there's a, there's a lot of overthinking, overthinking that goes into it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, th- there's. The night before tournaments, I, I'll just tell you, my, I don't sleep great. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's the trying to figure game. out what that what that first move is going to be. And, you know, you, yeah. you put this whole game plan together, and then, you know, a lot of times it gets thrown out pretty freaking quick. And then it's right. like, oh, crap, what do I do? You know, I mean, I, for example, we've, we've had tournaments before to where it's like, okay, we're going to go here, do this, then we're going to go here, then we're going to go here. We'll say that, like, we're not due back till 3 o'clock and blast off at 637. And, um, well now we, we've just burned through our third spot and it's like nine 30 and it's like, well, we, we, we didn't, we don't have anywhere else now. So you're just like, all right, we're going fishing. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that, I mean, that, that happens a lot. You'll just kind of yeah. be like, well, if this don't pan out, we're, we're, we're just going fishing and hoping for yeah. the best. But, uh, yeah, happens. but now do you have, but a, sometimes, a, you know, it works out. Yeah. Do you have a, a, partner in uh for tournaments or do you get paired up with someone through whatever organization you're fishing through so through the bfls it's it's a random draw so you got a boat a boater division and then you got the co-angler division and you know it's a random draw each time but the cool thing about it is whichever division you're fishing in Mm -hmm. you're only fishing against the other people in that so to where like i'm fishing as a i'm fishing as a co-angler and you know i'm fishing out of the back of the boat and say there's it's like it's a 120 boat tournament or whatever. I'm only fishing against the other 120 guys that are in the back of the boat. Nice. You know, like okay. even, even like the guy in the front of the boat, like I'm not fishing against him. Yeah. I mean, I'm fishing with him, but like, I'm, right. it, you know, it's a level playing field. Yeah. Um, so that, that's nice. But then, excuse me. So we do team tournaments a lot too. And, um, my brother and I fish those a lot together. Nice. Um, okay. he, he's recently gotten a lot into it, but then, uh, yeah, you know, there's there's some other guys that you know, buddies and friends that, that we've met along the way that uh that we'll fish with. But for the, for the big tournaments, yeah, it's a random draw. That's pretty cool. That that is um is that how the did I guess the higher divisions of Bassmasters those kind of things do? Or are those usually paired up? Are those a, a whole different system when you get to those higher levels? So once you get up to like a pro circuit level, you're you're pretty much flying solo. Um, so like on the MLF side of things, you'll get up to what's called like the Toyota series, which is, you know, that next step up from like the BFLs, but before you get to the true like pro circuit, um, you know, there's still co-anglers in that. And then like like the Bassmaster opens, 
Um, you know, there's co-anglers there, but when you start talking about the, like the Bassmaster elites, the Bass Pro Tour, the, you know, the MLF Pro Circuit, or what they call it, like the Invitationals this year, whatever, like that's just, it's one guy. Um, you know, you'll have a nice. marshal on the boat kind of, um, you know, making sure you're, you're following the rules and this, that, and the other. And at that level, you, you might have a camera guy in the boat, but as for, <laughs> you know, people, people that are actively fishing, nah, it's, it's just you at that point. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching those fishing tournaments growing up, but I never really thought uh, how the team structure would work or any of the subdivisions or anything like that. You know, the co-angler thing's cool because it, it allows people to, you know, get tournament exposure without having to, um, you know, incur a lot of the cost. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, it allows right. you to get to, it allows you to get to fish at a high level without having to go, you know, buy an $80,000 boat and then put $20,000 worth of electronics, trolling motors, you know, shallow water anchors, whatever. And then the tow rig. And, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into, you know, being able to go run a tournament boat. And, um, so now the guys that do that, you know, it's a higher entry fee and stuff for them. So they're obviously on the ticket to win a lot more money, yep. but it at least gets you in that environment, gets you, you know, you're getting to go fishing for the day. And, uh, it, it allows a lot more people to get exposure to tournament fishing, um, without having to just really, you know, go all in on it. That's pretty cool. Especially for any listener going into that field or trying to get into, there's your exposure right there. So you don't need yeah, to have both get into the tournament. Yeah. And anybody that's ever had, had like any interest whatsoever in, in bass fishing tournaments or I mean any kind of fishing tournaments, um, yeah, hit me up. I'm, I'm, I'm talking through it. It's, I promise you it's not as, as intimidating as it may seem like you're, you're probably closer to being able to go win one than you realize. That's so cool. Cause up in New York, I know we had a couple, we usually host a couple. Um, sometimes you see like the Bassmaster series come up for a small mouth tour, or I know the, the big thing we were talking about last time on the Tuesday tips, the walleye tour, there's a, there's a bunch of weird fishing tournaments in this area, but they're not really, um, well-known and how to get into i'm sure you know doing your basic due diligence will help solve it but i've lived here for a long time and i've never seen like a a formal thing besides you know just a couple advertisements here or there that so-and-so tournaments in town see that breaks my heart you say that because like i drool over getting to go fish smallmouth in new york like it is <laughs> it is um like i'm keep asking my wife I, so like my young my oldest son like he'll be three in january and i keep asking like hey is he old enough to like go on a week-long fishing trip like we go up to yes, new york is. yes he is. you know that's but i mean that, that's what it is i see you know you know the bass pro tour and the elite series and stuff go up there and just watching these guys get to wear these small mouth out all day long and i'm just it's, I'm just uh, it's all over it lake erie's got a pretty pretty good population pretty good spot that i know some but you go up to the thousand islands on st lawrence and it's just like to like eight nine pound smallies just are common you can go out there for 20 minutes or 30 minutes at night and catch a handful of them you're like all right let's go today (laughs) fucking tired and see that's what like i i the tournament you can you can use the the co-angler division of a tournament of the the bfl is almost to your advantage you can you can sign up as a um as an MLF member and make yourself tournament eligible. And then like I can fish the Savannah river trail and then say that I want to like go up to, um, St. Lawrence or, you know, whatever tournament up there, like my entry fee to go up there and basically 
I mean, this is kind of a bad way to look at it, but you know, the entry fee for that tournament is a whole lot cheaper than a guide fee. Yeah. So, you know, I could go up there and fish a guy, fish with a guy that fishes the St. Lawrence river every week and pay my, you know, small entry fee and like, let him run me around the lake all day, just catching small. I have thought about doing that. Let's figure that out for next summer. We'll go into a tournament. I know some buddies that know that river, like the back of their hand. Be oh, we totally oh, should. Yeah, that would be a good time. We'll come up there. I'll, I'll, I'll take you on a bass tournament, and then you can take me fly fishing. For sure. Because it, it, most of the time they line up pretty similar. And uh, I got some some friends, too, that got trolling rigs for the for the big lake Ontario. And it's fun to hit the, the salmon and coho when they're starting to stage. Uh, and then go, you know, a day or two later, go into the river and actually fish them out of the river. So you, if you hit like the right window of time, you can hit them all at the same time. But spring and kind of that late August, early September, are really good small small mouth times. And same thing. I mean, they come in, they'll come into the rivers as a steelhead are leaving. So that spring transition is really fun here because they are coming in to spawn and they're hot and heavy and you get that they're just brutes and they they come in and hit a fly just like a steelhead would and. They're fun. It's a good day to when you get both of them in the river, and the, there's water pumping, so you get some good action on them. That's awesome. You know, so I've you know we've spent the last last several several minutes here talking about kind of where we've gotten to and what our, um, you know what what our fishing looks like now. Um, but if you if you were to go back to I don't know how old you were whenever you first got like. You know, obviously, you know, we were, we were fishing when we were young, but there was a time yep. whenever we started taking it really, really serious to where like, this yep. is going to be a priority in my life going forward. So if you could go back to John at whatever age you were then and give him one piece of advice to, you know, to maybe dull some pain or, you know, something that you wish you could have done different, what would it be? Um, I, I, so I remember like vividly when we were in eighth grade, um, my, our, my school, my elementary school would host a trip, uh, or put on a trip down to Washington, DC. It'd be like a four or five day trip for all the, like the, the, the whole class would go down. You do like all the normal, like go to the memorials and the museums and all this. And I remember vividly getting an allowance for my parents for that trip. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to eat as much as I should. And I'm going to save some money because this was like March time frame. So everything was starting to thaw out. And I was like, I'm going to save some money. I'm going to go to Walmart when I get home. And that was like when I actually bought my like first, like everything else was just hand me down, like stuff in the garage that my parents got, you know, from older brothers or whatever that was on the boat or this or that, the other, this was like the first time that I've actually gone to a store, bought my own rod, bought my own stuff. And from there, it was just kind of a self-taught process. And I would think if, if I could go back, because this was 2007, 2008. So this is like before YouTube was big. It was before fishing blogs were big. If I could do anything, I would have started a YouTube channel for fishing <laughs> way back then. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and it just got on the gravy sure. from the fucking start with all that. No, but I, it was really fun self-learning everything and, and pulling, doing all the research and looking at Google Maps and, and bribing my dad to take me down you know, even if we were on the river for 20 or 30 minutes, but, you know, kind of in that high school, you didn't have a car yet. Didn't have anyone to take you fishing or go fishing with. 
it was fun to kind of figure out how to do it back then. And my first fly rod outfit was the same thing. It was like a Cabela setup. I think I got it with a gift card uh, from Christmas. It was like a $20 reel, like a $35 rod, and which is laughable now considering I just dropped like $1,000 on a new rod and reel just to have a little extra in the bank, even though I got like 15 fucking rods behind me. But it's like, it was humbling back then because that was a lot of money for, you know, broke ninth grader. Oh, for sure. It was, it was fun to, if I could go back then, I would have said, hey, catalog all this shit and start making, you know, YouTube videos or a blog about it because it was really before any of that shit was like, like around. Like you had fishing forums from local fly shops. If the old guys were good enough with a computer to get on there and like answer your questions or put out like photos or something like that. But it was, it was very, you know, hush, hush. It was, it wasn't a very large um, internet presence around it back then. So that would have been a little bit more fun to do. It was kind of catalog the journey a little bit more. Um, yeah. Because going back, it was, it was fun as a kid, like trying to figure it all out. You're like, okay, I know I want to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. And you just get a little bit better every time you go out to the river. But I think I put it together pretty well as a kid. If I had to go back there and teach him anything, I'd be like, hey, make this a little bit more of an important thing than you think it is. Like I thought I was into it back then, but it would have been more fun to do, take it to the next level earlier in the game, document some things, you know, catalog some stuff. Cause you never really know where, and it's just like, you don't know who's listening to this, who maybe they've been fishing their whole life too, or maybe they have never touched or, you know, maybe they're here for the whole hunting content. They've never thought about bringing a rod under their hunting pack or keeping it in the truck when they go hunting. And, you know, you never really know who's going to take your, pain and learning and and you're helping them speed up their process of understanding and, and incorporating and you're like saying hey that sounds pretty cool like it for the most part up here i fish all winter as long as the rivers are aren't locked in ice so it's it's fun to have something to do when the weather gets shitty and you know on those good days where it's a little sunny out and there's no snow or rain you can get down to the river and catch some fish as long as there's no ice on the river so it's, it's you never know really you're helping just by putting out content like this it's just us having a conversation so many years later so i think that would that would be my bit of what about you yes so yeah i didn't even think about the youtube thing but that that is that is definitely something that i wish i would have jumped on back then because well i mean like i there's several guys that i watch right now you know and it yeah they're making it big on youtube and you know yeah and all kind of partnered it yeah it's awesome but you you look back at their early stuff though that they were doing like when they started out and you're like man this sucks yeah, <laughs> like they weren't doing. It. I mean, it's like you were filming it on like an old Nokia flip phone or something. Yeah, like it was bad. Yeah, you know, like like back when it was just taking off. Like it didn't take a whole lot to be, you know, to be one of the guys. Yeah. And so yeah, that would that would have been cool. And, and for the just the the memory sake of it, like there there's so many like fish. I can I can remember catching them. I can remember holding them. But like. I don't have a picture of them. I don't have a video. I don't have a mount of them. Like, yep. like, yeah, I'll, like if my mind ever goes like, those are just, those are going to be a thing of the past. But yeah, I'd say the, the thing that I, whenever I started really appreciating quality gear was, was probably where the biggest, you know, 
when I started really getting, seeing myself getting better. Um, you know, I used to think that I just needed this huge quantity of rods and reels and tackling all that. And, you know, like you're talking about being like a broke ninth grader or something that meant going to Walmart or wherever, yeah. what was, what was on sale? Like I wasn't paying attention to like what power rod it was, was, you yeah. know, what gear ratio reel it was. I was just like, Oh, I just need another one. Yeah, and, I just need uh, the thing that I can afford. So <laughs> I, I spent so much money that I didn't have on, <laughs> on crap that like I that just was useless. I mean yeah. at at the at the time like I was walking out of there just as happy as could be, but it's just like you idiot. Like yeah. I would have been better off like the one money the money I spent on five of those cheap Walmart rods and like go buy one good rod and you're gonna be so much better off. Yeah, um, yeah that one always adds up. It's the uh the illusion of a cheaper product saving you money. You know it's like you, you can buy the thing two more times. You see the you see those memes and stuff and reels on, on social media. It's like maturing and blank is when whatever. So like maturing and fishing is when like you go spend at least 500 bucks on a rod and reel. Yep. You know, I'll be, I've spent, I've said we've, we've, we've spent more than that. Don't get me wrong. But like when you're re- like, when you understand the reason of why that makes a difference, you know, I'm, and if, if you're out there listening right now and like, you're, you're just wanting to get into fishing and you heard me say that, do not go spend five hundred dollars on a rod and reel because you're you're not going to know the difference between that and a twenty dollar reel. Like, yeah, yeah. you know that it, it's when, when you're taking it to that next level though, and you you understand why things cost what they do. You know that that's when you're going to take your game to a whole nother level though. Yep. Yeah, for us, it's the the rod's important for for um, you know the, the fly fishing, but. It really if you're if you're putting in hours over the winter time you need a good reel you need a really good sealed drag system you need something that can get ice and snow and i don't care to mention how many times i've busted my ass on the river and the first thing that hit the rocks is my reel and if you get like one of those hard plastic or cheap ones they just don't last the season but you got to get the the nice metal reels with the with the sealed drag that can handle getting frozen and thawed frozen and thawed frozen and thawed sometimes on the same day three or four times. Like if I dunk it in the water and the water's 32 and it freezes up for a second, but then in the afternoon it warms up to 38, you know, it, it goes back and forth all the time here. And that was like the, the same thing. It was like, especially when I was taking out people guiding them and providing this equipment for them. It's like, you need to give them some sturdy shit that, that you can use day over day, over day, over day for an entire season and not have to replace it at the end. Cause I've, I've, I've had those cheap rods and those cheap reels and they, the rods always end up broken and the reels always end up with a shot drag system after a year or two. And you're like, all right, now I have to go buy another cheap rod and reel. Whereas you just get that. And you don't even have to get the high tiers. The high tiers fly fishing stuff has gone astronomical. I mean, you can, you can go spend $3,000 on just a rod alone. If you get a custom made bamboo rod, sure. It's going to be cool to fish, but, the mid-tier stuff with warranties associated with them is where I've kind of just, okay, this is good. And then, I, you know, birthday, getting out of the army, I kind of treat myself to like a little nicer rod or a little nicer reel just because. Why not? It's a little celebratory yeah. gift to myself. Those warranties are worth their weight in gold if you're yeah. if you're as rough on stuff as I am. Yeah, yeah. Like the chick gets so, thrown around. So- they go in and out of trucks. They're going in and out of bags. They're getting, like I said, I, I fall in the river 
all the fucking time. <laughs> they get banged up on rocks. So, you know, you get you need something that's a little hardy and a little sturdy. That's awesome, man. So we've we've been going for a while now, and I don't want to, you know, drag it on too long. I want to leave enough to where uh, they give us a reason to come back and have oh, yeah. us used to come talk, come talk fishing some more. Because uh, yeah. whether we're recording or not, I think you and I could just sit here and talk about fishing all day. Yeah, but um, so if you know, we keep hitting back like to these people that are, you know, if we have a listener that's wanting to get into, you know, either fly fishing or bass fishing or whatever, but say they're just they're at ground zero. All, all they know is what they've listened from this mediocre podcast today. But, uh, you know, what, what, what gear would you tell them? Like, Hey, if you go get this, you know, whether it be rod reel, you know, a few flies, whatever it is they may need, but what would be like the ideal starter pack to where you can go out and have fun with this and not, you know, not maybe not break the bank, but you know, to where you have what you need to, to truly get to enjoy the sport. Um, my first recommendation would be look look in your area for a local fly shop, and they're the local small fly shops are kind of going away, and um, you know bigger stores, Cabela's and that kind of the Shields, those kind of stores are starting to creep up and overtake them. But their staff is usually very well, um, you know, they're they're used to taking new new people in. So big uh, if you if you got to get out there, get you know if you got money to spend, spend it on waiters and a good pair of boots. Um, those will be worth your weight in gold. And if you can get, um, uh, the nice part about most of all the, the suppliers for both, you know, the gear side and the, the physical tackle side is that they have tiered systems. They have entry level packages. You can get, um, you know, a, a fully rigged with line nine foot combo in just about any box store that's out there. And they're usually a hundred or 200 bucks. And those are always good to start with just to figure out how to get the casting right, how to, and if you're not fishing, you know, you're only fishing a few times a year, I would go, go grab those, you know, pre-packaged off the shelf. You know, Reddington makes a really good combo set. They're usually a hundred or 200 bucks, but like you really getting into it and you want to put some money into it, get yourself a good pair of waders that you can stay warm in and get yourself a really good pair of boots because, you want some good soles. You want to be able to stud them because you, you know once it gets rock, once it gets a little icy out and you're slipping on rocks, you need you need some good good insulated weather uh, waders rather, in, at least in the area that we fish. But same in Colorado. Um, I never used any waders down south in like South Carolina or Georgia just because it was so hot. It was just wet wade. Um, but if you if you you know getting into it. That's where you want to start is starting with the waders, starting with the boots, get the pre-packaged rods. Most of them are pretty good. They'll get you a season or two, especially if you're not fishing a whole lot. And then just ask the pro shop, hey, what you know? What are the local flies in this area? Um, what do I want to have a box full of? And from there, it's just, you know, do a little research. You can get as crazy or uh, as kind of casual with it as you want. I mean, most of my fishing is a little yarn on a hook that looks like a fake egg pattern. Um, but you can go, you know, crazy on the matching specific flies for a specific hatch that only happens for 45 minutes, three weeks during the summer. Uh, so you can get pretty crazy. You get very like zeroed in on a specific way of fishing. But if you're just trying to go out there and figure it out, get a couple woolly bugger patterns, get a couple of just generic nymph patterns, get yourself some good waders and boots. And just go put some time on the water because that's what it comes down to. It's just figuring it out the hard way. 
That's awesome. Yeah, so, you know, if you're wanting to get into, you know, the bass fishing, you know, it's going to be pretty similar. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily need all the, you don't need waders and boots and stuff. But, um, you know, I'm going to assume that if you're, you know, you're just now trying to get into it, you're probably not going to be, you know, fishing off a boat immediately. You know, you're probably going to be fishing a farm pond or, you know, off a dock or the lake or whatever. And, um, yeah, I would encourage you first you know, it, it, everything in me wants to tell you to go learn, go learn how to get efficient with a bait caster. But the fact of the matter is that's just not, that's not where you should go first, you know, <laughs> go find, go, go find you a seven foot to seven foot two medium action, um, or medium power, fast action rod. And, um, with a spinning reel, just get you a pack of three odd EWG, um, hooks and, you know, some bullet weights and some worms. Yeah. You know, just, I remember when you I upgraded know, the three caster once. And I think the third cast, I just bird nested the shit out of it. And I was like, oh, why did I do this? <laughs> so, on, on next week's podcast, we'll talk about tuning a bait caster. Yeah. No, really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> that, that, that's, you know, a whole, not without getting on that tangent, but so many people that are like, Oh, I just, I just can't throw them. I just, I, I blow them up. And I'm like, Oh, did you set your brakes? Did you set yeah. your line? T- you, that, did you set your spool tension? They're like, what's that? And I'm yeah. like, that's why you burned this. I blew it up. <laughs> and it's like, I literally could like hand you up, be like, all right, you can throw this as hard as you want now. And like, you will not, you will not burn nest it. But yeah, that's another, that's, that's another podcast. Yeah, but, uh, you know, go, podcast. go, go a good Tuesday tip though. You know, go get you something like that. But you know, go go like you said, go spend hundred, two hundred bucks, whatever, hundred fifty. Like you're going to get something that's quality enough there that that you're going to be able to continue using once you get get more serious and you want to start. You know, you want to start expanding your your tackle collection and stuff. Like I'm looking right over here at my rod carousel. Like I can see rods that I've had for for a long time. Like they're just the kind of the basic coverall. Yep. Like I may, I may not use them as much as I do some, some others, but like, they're still, I mean, like there's, a, there's a seven foot right there spinning rod. Fantastic yep. rod. I, I, I throw a shaky head on it a lot. And, um, you know, you, you're always going to be able to find use for those, but you know, those kind of rods, you know, if you do want to go in a bait caster, find you a seven, seven, two medium, heavy, fast bait caster rod. Like you can throw anything on it. You know, yeah. it's one of those, like, it's going to be good at every technique and then, but it's, I mean, it's not going to be technique specific. Um, you know, just, you know, you might want to, you know, if you're going to throw a lot of top water stuff, you may throw some braid on it. If you know, you're, you know, flipping grass, but, um, you know, you, you can change your line size and line type depending on what technique you want to try to learn, but, you know, just, just go out there and learn simple Texas rig, you know, you know, put a wacky worm on it, you know, skip it up under docks and all that. Like it will catch fish. You know, I joked yeah. earlier about how my dad, my uncle, like they threw one basic little crankbait and then a purple worm, you know, the reason they threw that June bug ribbon tail worm is because it catches fish. You know, it has for years, it will continue to catch fish. Like, you know, you may not go catch all the 10 pounders in the lake, but like, you're going to catch fish. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, just, just do that. Then just start, just start expanding from there. You know, if you're going to go during a time, whenever the bass are feeding, like, you know, maybe get you a little soft dry bait, get something that'll imitate the bait that they're eating and just, um, just go wear them out. Yeah. 
That's always the fun part. It's just getting on the water and figuring it out. Be like, okay, I want to add this, or no, I can I can adapt what I have to this, and I'm good. Yeah, you um, should all you should always leave and be thinking of like, well, next time I come, I'm going to try this. Yeah, because I do yeah. that to this day. After almost, you know, I'm about to turn thirty in a few months, and like most of those thirty years have been spent fishing, and like I still leave the lake every time. Like, man, next time that I see this pattern developing, like this is I'm going to try this. Yep. And that's just how you, you know, you're always going to, that'll keep you evolving as an angler. Yeah. Keep you, keep you coming back. As they say in golf, the, uh, the turn keeps you coming back. I just need one good hole to keep me coming back. (laughs) Either one good hole or one good six pack. Yeah. (laughs) All right, buddy. Why don't we wrap it up? John, I have, yeah, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I'm glad that we finally got to, you know, talk more than 20, 30 minutes on a tips podcast. But, uh, yeah. Where can uh, you know if people were deeply inspired by some by some fly fishing knowledge? Where can they where can they find you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram all the time. It's just John J Hatton, all one word, no periods or stashed you know underlines or anything like that. So, what about you? Awesome. So I'm on Instagram as well, um, Casey dot English. Um, you, know, you can find me on there. Feel free to you know, send me a message or whatever. If you've got questions, um, while you're on there, make sure you go, go check out the, the hunt, lift, eat, um, official Instagram page. Um, go check out the hunt, lift, eat podcast page. And then also, you know, it, it, we would be, we would be badly mistaken if we didn't mention the fish, lift, eat Instagram page as well. Um, gotta do that. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. If you if you enjoyed this podcast today, please you know go go send a message to that page and ask for more. Or you know, if you have any questions that you know that, that we didn't answer today, or you'd like us to expand on something a little bit more, just you know go there and reach out, and um and we'll gladly gladly hit on it the next time. Yeah, for sure. We um we can talk fishing all day, just Casey and I. But you know, we rely on these uh on our listeners to give us some good good topics of discussion questions that you guys want to know um you know topics for tuesday tips and hey if you are an avid angler and you got a story to tell like shoot us a message we'll get you on here we'll do a little three-way podcast there's um the more the merrier on the show but as we you know look to build out the uh the fishing podcast for the team we need your help doing it absolutely we love doing this so please come on and talk to us so that we have an excuse to do it more <laughs> but until then to all our listeners we appreciate the hell out of y'all and um, we look forward to to doing this again have a good one john until next time brother <laughs>